sermon series for at least the next two weeks. It's called Jesus Wept. I should have entitled it Kenny Wept. And it ties in with what Jameson spoke about last week. He kind of wrapped up the sermon last week talking about Jesus and his compassion for people and how Jesus cared about people and the way Jesus ministered to hurting people and the way Jesus did it the right way. And I just really felt compelled when I was listening to it to go and just go through the whole passage about his friend Lazarus and when he died and what everybody was going through and what they were struggling with and they're just there's so much there there's so many dynamics about how people were hurting what the world the state of the world at that point in time the condition of his disciples and where their hearts were and I just felt like you know what maybe it's good if we just look at everything in in John chapter 11 we know that John chapter 11 verse 35 is the shortest verse in the Bible Jesus wept as Jameson said that that's the verse that everybody has memorized right John 11 35 um, today I just want to look at the first half of John chapter 11 and we'll look at what it has to say to us and We'll look at the second half of John chapter 11 next week. And then we'll see where the series goes from there. Maybe it'll continue. Maybe that'll be the end of it. I'm not sure. But today we'll begin in John chapter 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now Bethany uh, was a city that was on the way to Jerusalem from Jericho. At this point in time, many people would have been uh, celebrating the Passover, so they would have been traveling through Bethany uh, from Jericho to go to Jerusalem, right? So this has been a very busy place at this particular time, and we see here that Lazarus lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. We have seen Mary and Martha before. We have seen uh, their personalities a little bit. Uh, Mary is the person who sits at the feet of Jesus and washes Jesus' feet with her hair, and Martha is the one who is busy preparing the house to try to make sure everything is just so, and chastises her sister for not making sure everything is just so while Jesus is there. Mary is the one who just wants to worship Jesus. Martha is the one that's so worried about everything else being just so, um, and Mary just wants to kind of be there at the feet of Jesus. In verse 2 of John chapter 11 says this, This is the Mary who later poured out the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. So obviously we see, first of all, that Lazarus was a dear friend of Jesus. So the first thing that we see is that they say, Jesus, your friend is sick. So obviously they have this knowledge that Jesus has power over the sick. They know that while Jesus' ministry here on the earth, a lot of times Jesus would heal the sick. That was something that was very well known, that when Jesus would encounter somebody that was sick, he was able to heal them. And, and as a matter of fact, there was either, even two other accounts where there were two dead people that Jesus raised from the dead. 
One was Jairus' daughter, um, that, that, that the little girl was dead, and he raised her from the dead. There was a funeral procession uh, where a little boy was raised from the dead. But here we, we see a situation where we have Lazarus who is sick, and, and, and Mary and Martha reach out to Jesus. They send communication to Jesus to say, hey, Lazarus is sick. And I assume, based on that message, they think that Jesus will come to his rescue because he is sick, because they know that he loves, loves Lazarus, he's his dear friend. It says in verse 4, it says, But Jesus heard about it and said, but, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus, sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of Man will receive glory from this. Now, one thing that I think as we look at our struggles in our lives, we don't look at them this way. Don't you wish that we had a godly perspective on our sickness? That when we saw our sickness, that we saw that this is so that God might be glorified. Can you imagine if we, we saw our sickness in the same way that Jesus saw it? I am sick so that God might be glorified. Now you say sickness. Okay, what, what, what could sickness be? Sickness could be, it could be cancer. It could be disease, sure. Sickness could be something like visual impairment like we just saw in the video, right? That could be considered sickness. What about psychological sickness? What about emotional sickness? Those are sicknesses too, right? What if you looked at your sickness? What about, what about addiction? What, what about that? as a sickness and you looked and you said you know what I am in this situation it may be the, the result of something I did it may be the result of something I did not do but whatever the case the situation that I'm in right now it is for the glory of God it is so that God might be glorified through my life as a result of what might happen at the end the end result belongs to God I'm gonna make sure that whatever happens no matter what it, whatever happens at the end, God gets glory from my life. I say this because I have personal experience with it. I tell this story about my life a lot, about my daughter's sickness, and the moment I had a real dependence on God. I... I, I thought that I had a dependence on God every time that I prayed that God would heal her cancer. Uh, my oldest daughter, she passed away from cancer. And I prayed nonstop for like a year. God, heal her from this cancer. God, heal her from this cancer. God, just take the cancer away. And we saw some tiny little miracles in there and some times when the cancer was just gone and it was like unbelievable. But I can remember this moment I have, and I could, I could show you where it happened. It was right in front of Target, and, and I could show you where it was. I was driving, and I remember where it happened. 
and, and I broke down and I just said, God, even if she doesn't get healed of her cancer, my only ask of you, the only thing I ask of you is that you would receive glory. Is that you would receive glory. That's my heart's desire. I have seen the fruit of that every day since she has passed away. God continues to receive glory from her life. When that is your heart's desire, no matter what happens, it's always a victory. When that is the passion that you have inside of you, that God, no matter what the end result is, my prayer is that you receive glory, you win. You win. Jesus wins. God wins. We all win. Jesus looks at Lazarus' sickness. Now understand, we know, we know what the end result is. So James, Jameson gave us the, 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 he gave us the, the, um, the ending last week, right? So we know what happens to Lazarus. It's kind of like watching the Titanic. You know what happens at the end, right? So Jesus knows what happens at the end too, right? Because he's God. He knows what happens at the beginning, the middle, and the end all at the same time. And here Jesus knows all of it, and he says, his end is not to death. This is all for the glory of God. Do you know that, that if you look at your life that way, that it changes everything? You see, if you have a God kind of perspective on your life, if Jesus is truly the one who rules and reigns in your life, then your end is not to death. You see, you live eternally with the King of kings and the Lord of lords if your heart is truly with Jesus Christ. See, that is what gives you a godly perspective. It's when your heart belongs to Jesus Christ. If it does not belong to Jesus Christ, then you should be very afraid. Then you should be afraid of the end. You should be terrified of the end, as a matter of fact. It should scare you to death, literally. But if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your death is not the end for you. De death, death is not the end for you. It is one step closer to Jesus. And here, we see Jesus talking in these terms. Now, we know that there's a little more to the story than that. In verse 5 it says, So, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. So here he is. He knows what is going to happen. He says this is for the glory of God. So he stays where he is. He, he does not go anywhere. Why does he stay where he is? He stays where he is because he gives Lazarus time to die. He, he gives Lazarus time to die. He, he, he knows that he's got to have time for his sickness to get to the point of death. 
He doesn't want to go there and be there while he's still sick because he knows what will happen. Martha and Mary will say, well, heal him. He's sick. But that would be short-sighted of this particular story, right? It's got to be one step further than that. It's got to be more than that. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Let's go back to Judea. Finally, he says that. For two days he waits, and then he says, all right, finally, let's go back. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? So here is what his disciples say. Hey, Jesus, it made sense before when you waited around, but now you say, okay, we're going back now. Before, it, made kind of, it kind of made sense when you waited around for two days, even though Lazarus was sick, and you loved him, and you cared about him, and you wanted him to be healed. You told us it wasn't to death, but now, here we are, now you're saying it's time to go back. Do you know that this is a place where they tried to kill you before? Do you know what's going to happen if we go back? And, and Jesus has a very interesting response to his disciples. These are the people that walked around with Jesus every day. They saw him heal people. They saw him love people in a way that was supernatural. They saw him touch people who were unclean. So uh, lepers that, that, that would obviously contaminate other people, they did not contaminate Jesus. When they were unclean and, and they would touch Jesus, they became clean. The unclean became clean when they touched Jesus. And, and here we see a situation where all of a sudden... He's got a chance to, to, to go to be with his friend Lazarus, to, to heal him. And now his disciples are worried about the fact that they're going into the lion's den, if you will. That they are afraid, and rightfully so. There were times when Jesus would, would avoid conflict. There were times when he would go away from a particular place and he would say, My time has not yet come. And they would say, okay, well, that makes sense. We're going to avoid this area because, you know, it's dangerous for us to be there. Now, here, Jesus is going into the face of danger. And this doesn't really compute to them. Jesus is going into the face of danger. And they say, don't you know that the people, man, they were ready to stone you the last time we were there. So Jesus replies to them. Now, you know... If you were one of his disciples, you know, like, Jesus is probably going to reply to us with a story. You know what I mean? Like, if we say this, Jesus is probably going to reply to us with some sort of parable. Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have light. They have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. Then he said... Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. So Jesus starts talking about the fact that if you, if you are walking around in daylight, you can see clearly because you have light that lights your path. If you walk around at night, you're in danger of stumbling. He says you have the light of this world. Now Jesus is the light of the world, right? He said, he's basically saying this to, the, to, to his disciples. 
how are they ever going to see clearly if the light of the world is not among them? He's like, yeah, they're deceived and they're wrong, so let's go and light up their path. Let's go and let them see clearly. If we don't go to where they are, they're going to continue to stumble around. So why don't we go and light up their world and, and let the light of this world shine in where they are and let them see true light as opposed to letting them stumble around. What's the alternative, guys? What's the other option to just let them stumble around in the dark? Is that the other option, disciples? Is that what we should do? Should we avoid them and let them continue to stumble around? Or should we go where they are and let them see true light? And that's the question he asks his disciples. Now, for us, what does that say to us? It's a tough balance, right? Does that mean that we should go into Compton and, and stand there and start reading our Bibles? Maybe. I don't know. I think there are times when God calls us into dangerous places. I think there are times when God calls us out of dangerous places. I think there are pl times when God calls us into places where we may very well die. I think there are times when God calls us into places where people do die. And there are missionaries who are skinned alive because of their faith. And I believe that that happens. And I believe God allows that to happen in his sovereignty so that the gospel might go out and God might be glorified in that situation. How do you know? How do you know if I'm supposed to go into this, this, this desperately dangerous place or if I'm supposed to avoid it and go away from it? So that I can take the gospel to another place and maybe live to fight another day and take the gospel to another place that may be dangerous and maybe I'm going to die in another place. How am I supposed to know? Well, the only way I can tell you to, to deal with that is to do what Paul did. You know what Paul did? He followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. It would, it, if you read the book of Acts, it would say the Spirit would lead him here or it would lead him away from here. There would be times you would read that the, the Holy Spirit of God would lead him into a city. He would be stoned to death. He would be on the very brink of death, so much so that the people thought he was dead, drag him out of the city, pray over him. He looked like he was dead. He would get up, dust himself back off, and go back into the city. That's how serious he was about the gospel. There would be other times where he felt like the Holy Spirit of God was leading him away from one place because he felt like it was too dangerous. Now, those two things don't line up if you think about them logically. If you think about them logically, you'd be like, well, surely if he had been stoned to death in one place, he wouldn't go right back into the city. You know what Paul did? It's very simple. He followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. Wherever the, the Holy Spirit led him, that's where he went. So you ask me. You ask me, Kenny, should I go into this very dangerous place and preach the gospel? Should I go into to this place or that place and, and show the love of Christ? The answer is, I don't know. That, that's a very simple answer for you. My answer to you would be this. How many days have you fasted and prayed? How many days have you gone without food and got on your face before God and say, God, am I supposed to go into this place? That would be my answer. 
My guess is a lot of people will go, well, I haven't done that yet. <laughs> Jesus asked his disciples, are we supposed to stay here and let those people stumble around in darkness, or are we supposed to go and light up their world and show them truth? He said, if, the, if we stay here, they'll continue to, to, to just stumble around because they can't see. He says, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him. Now, now is the time. Now is the time for me to go where they are. Verse 12, the disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, <laughs> I like this. This is me. I don't, I don't know who this was, but this is, this is the logical person in the group. The disciples said, Lord, if he is sleeping, he will soon get better. <laughs> oh, if he's just taking a nap, he will wake up. We don't need to go wake him. Surely there will be somebody that will wake him up. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So Jesus meant that he had fallen asleep permanently, but they thought he was just taking a nap. So we told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So he had to explain himself to, okay, look. Hey, logical guy, he's actually dead. He's not just taking a nap. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now you will really believe. He says, if I just would have healed him while he was sick, if I just would have healed a sick man, it would have just been one more box that you would have checked and said, yeah, Jesus can heal another sick person. Now, what I want you to know is that there, there's some differences between what he does with Lazarus and what he has done previously. Lazarus is in the tomb for like four days. That's way different than what he did with Jairus' daughter or the widow's son. They're, they're only dead for a little bit. He's got to wait till the body stinks, and then he's going to raise from the dead. This is to prove to them that in a short while, that he has the ability to raise a really, really, really dead body. Which, by the way, will be his own body in, not, in the not-too-distant future, right? He says, i got to take it a step for, further for you guys. He says, this time you're really going to believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas... Nicknamed the twin, I said to his fellow disciples, I don't know if the dude was being sarcastic. I don't know if the dude was like, or he was really gung-ho about being a disciple of Jesus. I don't know which one. I really don't. There's no indication. But this is what he said. Let's go too and die with Jesus. I can't tell from those words if he, if, if the, how the inflection goes. You know what I mean? Because if I was Thomas, you know, this is doubting Thomas, so I have a tendency to believe he was being sarcastic, right? Like all the disciples are over here. Jesus is over there. He says, come, let's go see Lazarus. He's dead. And I would be like, hey, guys, let's go die with Jesus. Y'all all ready? He's going. Y'all ready to go? You know, that's what I would have been like. I wouldn't have been like, hey, y'all, let's go die with Jesus, you know? This is doubting Thomas, so I'm guessing he was kind of sarcastic about it. Y'all ready? Let's go die with Jesus. That's what he says. Let's go to and die with Jesus. 
When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. And when Martha got word that Jesus had come, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been there, been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give him, will give whatever you ask. So here we see the classic Martha coming out. This is true to Mar Martha's personality, right? This is the Martha that's, that's, that's got to go and uh, the one that cleans the house and all this kind of stuff. And she even wanted Jesus to chastise Mary for not getting the house ready and all this kind of stuff. She goes, she goes to Jesus and says, Lord, if only you had been here. And, and it's almost this, this air of Jesus, if only you had, you know. And, and the good news is, is that she has this relationship with him and she depends on him and calls him Lord. And she knows, man, that he has the power to heal the sick. And she is hurting. As a matter of fact, they got a house full of people. The way this would have worked is in, in, in Jesus' day, they would have had people that they, they, would have, they would have hung out for a long time to mourn and wail the, the death of one that they loved. Like maybe for a week, they would have hung out. Now they go and they put the body in a tomb almost immediately. Like the same day or the next day, they go and, and put the body in the tomb, which the tomb is basically a cave, and they put the body on a shelf, and they basically they, you know, may go back and anoint it with spices or whatever to try to kill the smell but there was no embalming or any of that kind of stuff. They would just wrap up the body, put it on a shelf, and that was pretty much the end of it. But they would have people come over to the house, and they would hang out at the house to have a memorial service, if you will. And there were people that were, they were crying. And, and the more you cried, the, the more it, it was obvious that how much this person meant to the community or to the family. And this is a pretty well-known family, obviously, because they got a lot of people over there, and there are a lot of people crying and wailing over the, the fact that Lazarus is dead. And, and, and sometimes you would even have professional wailers and criers that would come into the household to kind of lead in this process. That this is how you cry. This is how you mourn. This is how you mourn the loss of somebody. And here, they're all hanging out. They're all doing the, the crying in the morning and wailing of the fact that Lazarus is gone. And, and, and Mary stays back. And Martha goes out to, to meet Jesus. And she says, man, if only you'd been here. If only you'd been here a little sooner. As if to say, God, you're too late. You know, I think sometimes in our lives, we almost have that mentality. We look at a situation in our lives and we look at some circumstance, we say, God, you're a little too late. A little too far gone for this person to be restored. There's, there's really, it's kind of beyond hope right now. There's not much of a chance right now. One thing I, I often remember about, about Jairus' daughter is that, that this process had just started to take place where they had the professional whalers and mourners to come in and, and people were, were crying and all this kind of stuff. And, and Jesus comes in and, and he, he breaks up the funeral service and he drives everybody out and he's like, the funeral's over with, man. Get everybody out of here. The girl's just asleep. Just get everybody out of here. And they're all looking at Jesus like he's crazy, you know. And he's like, no, no, this funeral's over with. Get them out. 
is never too late for Jesus. Nobody is ever too far gone. There's no situation that is, that is ever too messed up. There is no addiction that is ever too far gone for, some, for Jesus to come in and intervene. There, there is no sickness that Jesus can't rectify. There's no re relationship that Jesus can't heal. There's no mental illness that Jesus can't, can't come in and, and, and work his, his, his power in to, to rectify somebody's situation so that they're healed mentally. There's never a situation where it's too late with Jesus. That's just not the case. You're never too far gone. Here, Martha's saying it's too late. It's never too late with Jesus. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Can you imagine your brother that you care so much about has passed away. He was sick. He died. Jesus, who has previously raised people from the dead, healed the sick, done amazing miracles, healed people that were blind, and you know all these things that he has done. And Jesus looks at you and says, your brother will rise again. And she has good theology. Martha has good theology. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. She's got good theology and says, yes, I know that we'll all be called to meet with you in the air. I know that, man, we're all going to have eternity with you. Yes, I know that. And Jesus is like, I'm talking about now. I'm not just talking about someday in the future. It's, you're not too far gone right now. Jesus told her, and this is kind of where we're going to wrap up things today. Jesus told her, I am. When Jesus starts anything with the words, I am, immediately a Jewish person's ears would perk up. They would recognize the words I am as talking about the one true God of Israel. They would recognize that as, as God who says that I am the I am. That's the way he describes himself. There aren't any words, uh, there, there aren't any modifiers that you can put around who God is. He just, I am. And here Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's not that he just brings about resurrection. He is resurrection. You know, when God says that, that, that I am love, it's not just that, that he's about love. He is so exemplified by love that he is love. Here Jesus is saying, not only do I bring about resurrection, I'm so exemplified by resurrection. I am the resurrection. If you want to look for resurrection, you find it in me. If you look for life, you find it in me. And he says, anyone who believes in me will live after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? It's a huge question for Martha. 
Martha seems to be a very practical person because we know she's the one that's worried about cleaning the house and making sure everything's just so-so when Jesus comes around and, and all that. And, and here, she knows that Jesus has the power to heal the sick. And she sees the reality of the fact that, you know, Jesus, had he been here, he would have been able to heal Lazarus. She believes that. She said, only if you'd been here a little bit earlier, he'd have been sick and, and he would have been okay because Jesus would have healed him. Well, Jesus says, you know, that's great and wonderful that you believe that, Martha. And it's even great and wonderful that you believe that he'll be, he'll be raised again one day. But I want to push your faith a little further. I want to push your faith beyond what you believe right now. Do you believe that if you believe in me, that he will be raised again? Do you believe that he'll be raised this day, is what Jesus is really saying. You see, here's the thing with Jesus. Every time you believe something with Jesus, Jesus wants to push that belief and that faith a little further. He wants you to believe more. You see, because you can never believe too much about Jesus. We have a tendency to believe too little about Jesus. Our hearts have a tendency to sell him short over and over and over again. Our hearts have a tendency to say, well, God doesn't really care. God doesn't really know. I'm really insignificant to God. God doesn't really hurt when I hurt. God doesn't really see the fact that I'm here and that I'm hurting the way that I'm hurting. God can't really handle this situation. God's already given up on this. I want you to see something in this story. And that is that every single time somebody starts to doubt or question or wonder... Jesus pushes their faith a little further. Jesus is constantly trying to push them to believe a little more, to understand a little more, to, to say, you know what, I believe Jesus, I believe in who you are a little more than what I believed yesterday. You know what my prayer for you in this church is? Is that when you walk out of here, is that not only do you know a little more about God than what you did when you came in here, is that you believe a little more about God than what you did when you came in here. Because I'll tell you this, it's really easy when you walk out here and you walk around in this world to believe a lot less about God, to question a lot more about God. Jameson talked to you last week about Job. And the only thing that Satan was trying to convince Job to do was to question God's deity, to question if God was really in control, to question if God's hand was really in this world. That's what it meant to curse God, was really to question God, to doubt God, if you will. You know, you know what the biggest risk people have? You know what the biggest risk all of us have? would be to doubt God, to doubt that he's really in control, to doubt that he is who he says he is, to doubt that he really cares about you, to doubt that he really sacrificed his, his one and only son for you. That's the biggest risk we have. Because if Satan can plant that little doubt of seed, a seed of doubt in your mind, and it begins to grow, and it begins to grow, and it crushes your faith, and you really don't have faith that Jesus died for you? 
and you reject the, the, the reality of the cross and you reject the reality of the cross and you reject the reality of the cross. That's, that's how you blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to constantly reject the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. My prayer for you is this. If your faith is struggling, maybe at one point in time, maybe you felt like, man, I was really connected with God. Maybe I, maybe I was really, you know, I feel like I was really walking with God. I was really right there with God, and, and something happened. Maybe it was a sickness. Maybe it was something that, that happened in your family. Maybe it was a broken re- relationship. Maybe it was a mental illness. Maybe it was a, uh, an, an emotional thing that happened with somebody in your family. Maybe you doubted that God really cared. My prayer for you today is this, is that through the testimony of Lazarus and Martha and Mary, that God has, has shown that what he does through every situation is to push you and push your faith to be more and more and more in him and less and less and less in the world. Just like we were talking about how, how, the, how the light of the world is what keeps you from stumbling, my prayer is that what Jesus has done is he has lit up your path today, that he has shown you that he is the true light of the world, that if you will trust and put your faith in more and more and more in him, that you will be able to see more clearly and you will keep from stumbling as opposed to walking around in darkness. The reality is, is that God wants you to believe in him and trust in him and trust that he is in control. The reality is, is that he wants you to say, you know what, God? No matter what happens in my life, I pray that you'll get glory. No matter what sickness I may have, no matter what mental illness I may struggle with, no matter what thoughts may creep into my mind, I pray that you'll get glory because I completely trust in you. I completely believe in you. He's constantly trying to push us to believe more and more in him and trust more and more in him. Maybe somebody in here has never fully put their trust and faith in him, and you know that never fully surrendered your life to him and because of that you know you're not a Christian, you're not a Christ follower maybe today you want to put your life in his hands say God I trust you and I trust you completely you have a chance to do that maybe you're a Christian but maybe something's happened and maybe you've slipped away and maybe that, that trust is not what it used to be, that belief is not what it used to be and you've got a chance say God you, you, you can restore me I believe fully that you can restore me to that place I used to walk with you and be close to you. And God, I know that you can do that. I trust it. I believe it today. You see, when Jesus wept, in verse 35 of John chapter 11, he wept for all of humanity. He had compassion for every single one of us. He wept because of the cross. He wept because his friend had died and the reality of death was around him, all around him. The reality of the cross was to befall him very shortly. Death had came into the world and he broke his heart. But that same death, he had a solution for. He had a solution for. And Jesus was that answer. Today, in your life, if you're looking for the answer, Jesus is that answer. And Jesus cares. And he cares about what hurts you. And that's the same reason that he wept. 
John chapter 11, verse 35. Father, thank you so much for being a saving God, for being a caring God, a loving God. Lord, I just pray that if there's somebody hurting today, God, I just pray that you would encourage them. God, I pray that you would just bring them into your arms and you would just wrap them up with the arms of your Holy Spirit, that he would just move in this place, God, and, and just let people know that, that God, you care. I know that there are people that doubt whether or not you care. And it's so obvious through your word that you care over and over and over again that you care so deeply about people. And here in John chapter 11, verse 35, you even wept, physically wept. It tells us in your word that it was, it was uncontrollable, uncontainable, the degree to which you wept. Lord, and that was for all of us. The brokenness of this world. Even though you had a solution, even though you knew the answer, you still wept for the brokenness of this world. Lord, I know that the people in here, they, they know you're the answer. God, and I, I know part of the reason that you wept is because you knew, you knew that there were some people that wouldn't come to you. There's some people that won't come to you. There's some people that will doubt that you're the answer. So they just won't come to you. pray that you would break their hearts, Lord. Pray that you would just show them that you indeed are the answer. Lord, rescue somebody today. Draw them close to you. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would break somebody's heart today. God, show them that you're the 